I wouldn't want to be any other place. So you guys either must have four-wheel drive or you're crazy. Are you just crazy? How many got four-wheel drive? You know, most of you just crazy. You're just sliding around. We don't want to make those who stayed home feel bad, but, you know, we're just glad you came out here today. We've only had to cancel church for weather one time, and that was that blizzard we had about 10 years ago. I couldn't even get out the house, you know. I mean, it was like knee-deep. It was so hard. But uh, I did it from my house. Uh, we had a live feed. But most of the time, we're going to still have service. But this one, it just came down so hard right in the morning. A lot of our folks couldn't get their cars out. It took me forever. I was up at 6 in the morning just to get my vehicle out. Now, technically, I could have just drove my truck through my yard, and I kind of did that later on in the day. But I was thinking, like, you know, I should do this right in case my wife has to go somewhere with an emergency with the kids. But thank you so much for coming today, and hopefully we'll be back at 9 and 11 next week. I was going to preach today through the book of Revelation in our series, but I was like, man, let me do something special because everybody's so radical coming to church. Let me preach something special. So last week I was suffering for the Lord in, in 80-degree weather in Florida. I hope you guys kept me in your prayers. I was suffering for Jesus there. It's 72 right now, and I just was checking it, and I was looking at that, and I'm like, Lord, are you sure you told me to come back? Because, man, this has been a tough week for us. This has been a tough week. We, we uh, did not have anyone shovel our driveway. From this point on, I'm going to pay someone to shovel our driveway because when we came back, the driveway was all full of snow. And when uh, we tried to pull up, my wife couldn't do it, and it was just getting stuck. So I said, oh, let me do it. So I floored it. And this is after 16 hours of driving our van with no uh, accident. I floored it, and then it got unstuck, but then it kept going really fast up our driveway. I slammed on the brake and it slid right into the side of our house and broke brick and has now demolished a part of my house. Yes. So after 16 hours of driving and being in beautiful Florida, how Chicago welcomed me home was me crashing my van into the house. So the house has more damage than the van, but thank God for insurance that will cover both. And everybody's okay except my daughter. She had gotten up and, and she scraped her nose a little bit on the uh, yeah. Oh, she scraped her nose a little bit on the on the car. But other than that, we are okay. But it's been a tough week for me, y'all, because the day that I was supposed to just relax and just get ready for Sunday and everything, I'm driving around getting estimates on the car. I'm talking to the insurance folk. I'm I'm telling my landlord, don't kick me out. I will treat your house nice, you know. So God's grace has been with me in this place, and I know he's been with you. I was so impressed with Joe B's message last week. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Didn't he do a wonderful job? We believe that there are many, many qualified preachers and teachers here to do the work of the Lord. It's not a one-man show, and so thank you guys for supporting him. What I'm going to do is preach to you the message I preached at my father's church Sunday. And those of you who want to know about my dad, my, I didn't grow up as a pastor's kid. My dad became a pastor after I did. He got so inspired by what God was doing in my life. He's like, man, I want to do that too. So he went to Bible school, and he started a group out there in his community. And now that small group is becoming a church. They're having Sunday services. So I preached it there, if anybody ended up, ended up watching that. And then also I preached it live with uh, Pastor D.S. Jackson on that live feed, which was a great live feed and an honor to be there. But I can see by your expressions, most of you don't follow me or watch what I do, so no half kid. But let's preach it today. You guys ready for that? Amen. So everybody say, behold their threats. 
Behold their threats. Go with me to Acts chapter 4, and then we'll continue our, our Revelation series next week when everybody's in the house, though I know most will catch this online. But after seeing that nobody watched my other stuff online, I'm not too sure of that. So it's good to see people in the house of God when we do a series. We all know what's going on in our nation. We've seen a lot of corruption be exposed during this time. And we now are starting to hear some of the crazy things that this administration wants to do and implement. And we can instantly, in our own hearts, begin to get uh, full of fear and worry about the threats that might be coming our way. But God has a word for us. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And what we have to do is be wise as serpents and as harmless as doves, doves, uh, not dubs, um, you know, dubs are rims, like 20s, <laughs> you're laughing, what are dubs, somebody tell me what a dub is, 20s, riding on 20s, okay, thank you, uh, so we got to be uh, as wise as serpents and riding on doves, no, we got to be as wise as serpents, as harmless as what, doves, amen, thank you for helping me preach. And that's a subtext for this because I think some of us may be a little bit uh, overly active to be a martyr right now for Jesus because we're concerned about what is going to happen in this uh, country, what's going to happen with our freedoms, and the kinds of things that will impact Christians over the next few years. We do know that things will get worse at some point and not get better. And we believe that will then usher in the Antichrist and then the time of tribulation. As we get into the book of Revelation, you'll understand a little bit more about what I believe it will be like. I believe we as the church will leave on a high note, not knocked out, waiting for Jesus to come tag team us out of some WWE wrestling match where we've just been knocked out. I believe like, you know, we're leaving victorious. Now, that doesn't mean while uh, we're getting ready to leave victorious that the world is at peace with us because the New Testament church was victorious, but the world was against them. Them. So, you know, this is not a prophetic word. It's just me kind of like, you know, checking where I think the Holy Spirit wind is blowing on this. I have a sense in my heart that we are going to be given opportunities to prosper with this wicked nation, and we have to use it to our advantage so that when those times of persecution come, we have the resources and the skills to pay the bills. That's what I personally believe. So if you want another subtext of this, it's kind of given a bunch of subtext. The main text is here. The first subtext is be as wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And then the other one is looking at Joseph during his time of affliction being raised up for seven years of prosperity to prepare for the seven years of famine. How many remember that story? So I believe that we might be jumping the gun into famine and missing prosperity if we're focusing on the wrong things at this time. And so in my timeline, I think there will be subtle things that they're going to do and then sudden things they're going to do. And I believe if we're waiting for the suddenly, we might sell our homes, move on the communion, uh, the commune too soon and give up all of our chances of prosperity while they're having all of it just to themselves. I do feel there may come times where we're going to have to live on our own land, have our own farms, produce our own clothes. Those kinds of things may happen 
as they have happened in other countries. But like I said, if we just jump onto that now, we may miss where we're supposed to be here. So this is what I would say for us now. Save up now. Buy houses and land and property now. I'm looking for five acres plus where I'm at because I do want to have some milking cows, some eating cows. I want to have some rabbits and goats. I want to have all of those things. I want to have an organic garden. And if things tarry, I want to sell off some land to the expanding suburbs and, you know, the, the shopping centers. But if things go bad quickly, I got a plot property for you. I got a property for you. You understand what I'm saying? So I got one person getting happy. You want to come farm it with me? A couple of you. Okay. So I'm calling it building a castle. Amen. I want to build a castle out there and get property and land. And even until then, I have some ideas that we could use it because uh, it's not only going to be a parsonage, but I also want to use it as a retreat center. I'd like to have a barn that can have a shabby chic wedding there. I'd like to have a pool. And I'd like to be able to bring the youth and adults out there for special events and activities so that we always know we have a, a space out there. And if God forbid something goes wrong, we could have church out there because the barn could fit at least, you know, get a barn about this big. Are you guys tracking with me, okay? So all of a sudden, you go see Farmer Joe out there, okay? And don't think I'm leaving the city because I just don't want to live in the farms. I already grew up around a farm and all of those things in Indiana. We were in the suburbs right next to the farm, literally where I shopped, the Amish shopped, okay? They would come in with their buggies. You know, saddle them up there like, seriously, you, if you went right to my grocery store where I went and got groceries as a kid, you could see Amish people there today if they made it through the snow, okay? Our, our housekeeper was an Amish person. We, we interacted with the Amish, okay? And that's country. When I say Amish, I mean those folks are country. They don't even have electricity, okay? Now, I grew up around that, so I don't, don't, don't anybody think like Joe doesn't love this city. God, you know, God's calling him to go live in the country. No, because this is where I'm supposed to be. But I also want to be wise in how I am here, how I be here. And if they're going to outprice us and if they're going to do these kinds of things to try to outwit us for land and property here, we're going to make sure that we have property and land where we can afford it. But I also want for the church to have its own property and land and to be able to start an urban garden and all of those different things. Can I get an amen to that? So let's believe God that we're going to be able to do both. We're going to be able to have this kind of retreat center, uh, you know, a little bit off into the suburbs, parsonage, etc., as well as having land here in the city. Because you know what I think we should do with a lot of these properties that have been left uh, abandoned like what they've done in Detroit, tear them down and start planting farms. If people don't want to live in these parts of the city anymore, we're going to make them rural again. Amen? That would be like funny, like one day you go in the hood and somebody's like, howdy, partner. You know, they do like their little hat thing. And you're like, what's going on, Jerome? Hey, man, I'm a farmer now. You know, and I'd be like, dude, come on. You know, I want to farm with you. Dude, why not? You know what I'm saying? You go down south, man, everybody's farming or at least knows a farmer, you know? And so I think we kind of need to bring that back to the urban area. How many want to see Jerome and Carlos and, and, and Joe farm together? Amen? I want to get out there, Latinos. We all come, by the way, we all come from farmers, okay? My Italian family comes from farmlands. You know, most of us, we, we and, and sadly, some African Americans were on farms and didn't want to be. Those were called plantations. And it's so funny because I was, maybe not funny, but kind of awkward, because I was in the South and they're like, do you want to visit this plantation? Do you want to visit this plantation? And I'm like, no, I don't want to see where my black friends got whipped and oppressed here. Uh, thank you very much. I'll just stick with Mickey Mouse, you know? Uh, but, but, this is, but this is honestly what we can all relate to, farmland, being outdoors, doing our own things. My one brother's from the, the Caribbean. You know what I'm talking about. Did you guys have chickens in your backyard? That's what I'm talking about, man. You know, even every now and then you'll be by Humble Park and you're, bah, bah, you'll hear a little chicken. 
you'd be like, that's, that's got, definitely got to be somebody from Puerto Rico or Mexico. Yeah, because when I, when I went to, I haven't been to Puerto Rico yet, but a lot of friends have told me about when, when I was in Mexico, uh, Nayarit State and Chilapa was the city outside of that, even in a small village. You just saw horses just chilling, just chilling, horses walking around like they were just stray cats. Like here in the city, you'll see a stray cat every now and then. Like there were just horses walking down the road. And I even have a video of me walking over to it. And I'm like, there's no way this horse is just going to let me chill with it. And I just had a video. And I'm like, I bet she's going to leave or freak out. I'm like, no, he just chilled. And I ended up just touching on somebody's horse and rubbing on this guy's horse. I don't know whose horse it was. But if I probably knew enough about it, I would have saddled up that horse. And all of a sudden, you would have seen some gringo, like, going around, around this village. And, some, and I'm not even going to try to do the voice of somebody in Mexico. But they would be like, dude, why are you on my horse? Why are you riding my horse around this village right now, you know? And I was like, man, I wanted to ride your horse. It looked cool. Berto, where's Berto at? Berto, man, he is the Aztec warrior. He, he was once there, but in honor of him, we'll all look here and pretend we're talking about him. Berto, we love you so much and want to just tell you how much you mean to us, Berto. Berto will tell you that I'm a guy, and some of the other staff will tell you this. When I find out what you like, I will try to make it happen because I just love hanging out with you guys. And so Berto told me, like, my thing is horses. So when he came and visited with me, what did we do? We went right to the, he came to my family's house one time. We went right out to the Amish. And he's like, do you know any of these folks? And I'm like, I don't know any of them. But I guarantee you they'll let you ride one of their horses, okay? So we show up to their house, and we're like, hey, what's going on? This is my friend, and Berto needs to be here right now because he is literally the Aztec warrior. He is this tall, you know. So I said, my friend wants to ride your horse. And after they looked at me crazy, they were like, how much? And I'm like, I'll give you 20 bucks if you put him in a buggy and then you put him on top of a horse and do the thing. And there are pictures. I wish we could find it. I wish Berto was here. He's probably shoveling somewhere. You can see big old Berto, his feet almost dragging along the ground, <laughs> riding a horse. Do you remember when I took you horseback riding with the Amish? Please find that picture and have them put it up, please. And we also went in their buggies, and it was so funny because you could just see, like, the parents told these kids, take care of these city guys. So these kids took us around. We paid them good, and he got to ride a horse. Well, lo and behold, lo and behold, God favors Berto so much. God, you know, Berto's one of God's favorites. He comes to my house, and every now and then, there's some folks that have horses in, in our community, believe it or not, and they'll ride them in the park that's right by my house. And lo and behold, when Berta was over, guess who came around? A dude on a horse. And I'm like, ranchero, ranchero, por favor, please come, please come. And you know, and the guy's like, I speak English, dude. I live out here with you. I, I live right next to you. Why are you? But I'm like, ranchero. <laughs> ranchero, come, por favor. Vien, ven, ven, whatever. So the guy comes. He's nice to us. You know, he's like this gringo. He's like talking to, he then starts talking to Berto in Spanish. And he's like, why are you hanging out with this crazy guy? But then I say to him, and, and Vinny was there too. Am I not telling the truth? And I'm like, can we ride your horse? And the guy's like, of course. And so we ended up having it again. And Berto got to ride my horse. Uh, that, not my horse, but a horse in the backyard. <laughs> One day I would like to have a horse. Now, why am I saying all of that? I have totally forgotten. I don't even know where we were going with that. Something about us owning a farm and having good times, right? So we're just going to believe God for all of that. We'll eat a horse if it get, we get desperate enough. There's a lot of meat on those things too, right? Yeah, you guys getting upset now. 
I'll tell you what, you get hungry enough, you'll be like one of those cartoon folks looking at that horse and it will turn into a turkey. And you'll be like, I want that part. Pastor, I want that part right there. You'll be pointing to its hindquarters. I want that part. My parents have a friend that's a farmer. We call him Uncle Dave, and we go to his house and shoot stuff. And he had, a, he had just, he was taking us around his property on one of those Polarises, you know, one of those four-wheel four drive thing. Uh, you know, we're driving around. And, like, all of a sudden, he's like, man, yeah, yeah, over there is a gator I shot the other day because it's in Florida. He's like, there's a gator I shot the other day. And we're like, what? He's like, yeah, it was just an alligator messing with my, my animals, so I just shot it. I'm like, bro, you got to stop and let us see this alligator you just shot. So we get out. This is in Florida. And we get over there, and there's the alligator just dead, chilling, and all of that. But that's not good enough for me because you guys know I conceal carry, and I always got a gun on me, and I'm like, can I shoot it? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, it's already dead. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I want to shoot it. So I go back a few steps. I'm so serious. I go back a few steps, and I'm like, say hello to my little friend. Poof, 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 poof. You can just see the thing jump like this. And then Uncle Dave, you could just see Uncle Dave looking at me once again like how the ranchero looked at me, like how everybody looks at me like, dude, why are you shooting something that's already dead? Like, you just did not have to do that. But then I, like, put my gun away, and I'm like, okay, let's go, Dave, you know. But that's, that's what I'm like on the farm. Am I not telling the truth? I'm, I'm just weird like that. And then I just, you know, we started hanging out with him, and I'm like, can we go get some skeets and shoot shotguns? And he's like, of course we can. So this guy is so nice. The other day, the next day, we come over there, and he's just, you know, throwing those things up, and we're just shooting them in his backyard. Isn't that fun? So pray that we can do all that. Amen. Pray we can do all that. We can shoot squirrels. We can milk cows. I so want to do the milking cow things just for a joke because they do have machines to do that now. And by the way, look it up on your phone. 20 gallons a day of milk from one milk cow. Dude, like we taking care of the whole Metro Praise family with milk. You guys get what I'm saying? And you know what you can make out of milk. You can make butter. You can make cheese. You can make all of these things, okay? So one, you know, when people come over, city folks, we're not going to tell them we have a little machine. We're going to say, will you come and milk our cow? And then seeing city folks milk cows. Anybody ever milked a cow before? No one? Okay, a few of you. All right. It works. There you go. People have milk cows. Was it in Mexico? Yes, yeah, see, in the farm, milking a cow. And then we'll say, okay, dude, we actually got a machine for that. So we'll put it up in there. But just when you come over the first time, like as an initiation, we'll just be like, milk the cow, dude. Or we, you know, we could make it funnier than that by telling you to milk the bull. But that would get gross, right? The, the male cow. Have you guys ever seen those movies where you just don't know which one it is? Got quiet. I went too far. I went too far with the, the bull cow. Okay. Yeah, if you don't know, you don't know. You know what I'm saying? You're like, where is that thing? So we're going to leave that joke alone. Have we found it? I tried to stall up here, my brother. Did we find the, the, the time where we took you horseback riding to make your dreams come true? Yeah, if, if, if Birdo gets a cow, it has got to be I mean, a cow. If he gets a horse, it has got to be a thoroughbred, like those big, oh, no, Clydesdale. You know the Clydesdale ones? Man, it's, he's got to get a huge horse because this one looks like... You know, just like he don't fit on it. But are we getting it up there? We... Okay, that's cool. Whatever one you have found, I would love for you to put up. Just so you guys can see God can do it. How many believe God can do it? Yeah. Amen. Are you still happy you came to church? Yeah. Did I really just talk 10 minutes about farms and stuff? 
I just, I have never done, those of you who are new here and like, does he always do this? I never do this. I never do this. There we go. Yeah. So, so moments before this, we were in that buggy being pulled by kids who were doing the buggy. Like, like, could you just imagine this? Like kids, I'm talking like nine, ten years old in the front seat and me and your boy Bertle sitting in the back seat and them taking us around their farmland. Let's give it up for the Amish. Amen. And that's us doing it. Yeah, I wish we could have you saddling on that thing, but that's okay. I was going somewhere. Let's go back to the passage. I remember now where I was going. So if we miss our time of prosperity, we may throw away what God has for us right now. So we're going to be shrewd. Yes, we're not going to let anybody get away with anything. We have Christian lawyers, even here in this uh, city, that are amazing, that want to help us. So if on your job, if you feel like you're being persecuted for being a Christian, you know that you can reach out to us. We'll get you in touch with a lawyer so that there can be a lawsuit brought against your job because no one can discriminate you against your job. In our culture, oftentimes people are like, oh, Muslims, you know, they wear the headdress and they do this and that. That's so cool. But you wearing a cross gets persecuted. You know, they, they get to have time to pray five times a day. You know, they get to have their own little prayer space. Oh, but a Christian, you know, we get picked on. So I want to make sure that you guys know your rights this year and that you're able to live for Jesus. At the same time, I don't, I don't want us to be so twitchy that we make everything out to to be a persecution when God actually wants us to remain in that job. God actually wants us to remain in that place because Joseph was used by God in Egypt to prepare for his family for the times of famine. So I do believe there are going to be extreme times that may come in our lifetimes towards Christians, but we should not make those extreme times come faster than what they're coming. We should be in the season that we're in. This should be the season of saving. This should be in the savings of planning your future, getting out of debt, and being blessed to be a blessing so that if you are persecuted and not able to hold down a job or things go bad for us as Christians, we have these resources that we can sustain ourselves through the times of hardship. How many believe we should be able to do that? Because that's important. Now, we have already seen people get attacked on their job, like Nini's Deli, where Christians were persecuted and they felt unsafe and they had to move. Now, where did they move to? They moved to a place known in, you know, as a, the part of the Bible Belt so that they could experience more religious freedom. Some of you may want to do that over time. Move out of cities that are higher in persecution and go to places with more freedom. But you don't always have to leave. Sometimes you can stay and fight that good fight and I hope that we don't give up Chicago easily. I know for me and my family that we're always going to have a place here, that I'm called to make this my home base. I may travel to help serve Dallas and other churches and different you know, nations. Some of my children feel called to be missionaries, etc. But I know I'm not leaving to Chicago until they take me out, okay? So I'm going to be here, but I understand some of you in your mindset, you might be thinking, man, 
are there parts around the country that are more accepting of my beliefs? So I was just in Florida, and Florida just looked like it was wide open other than every now and then people wearing masks, okay? We were at the water parks. We were out doing the thing. The kids are in school. You would almost think you just went to a different planet. You know, like right now, our teachers are like, I'm not going back to school. I'm not teaching. I'm not doing any of that. And in Florida, you're like behind a school bus. And I, like, I asked my parents, what's that? And they're like, a school bus. And I'm like, those things are still around? Yeah, kids are going back and forth to school. And it just, you know, like, do they have a different version of COVID in Florida? Not really. You know, it's the same kind of stuff going on there that's here. It's just their governor actually has a brain, you know, and is thinking through this, that most children are not affected by this, that we need society to go on, etc. So what we need to do as Christians is decide what is best for us. So some of you may reposition jobs. Some of you may relocate. And I would say if you're thinking about relocating, go to Dallas. Go help out with Dallas or to a place that we can start a new church. But for those of us who are going to stay, and that's going to be the vast majority of us, we need to knuckle up, buckle up. Are you guys listening? We need to be ready for spiritual warfare. We don't just say, well, I'm going to leave, you know, because a lot of people just say, I'm going to leave because of taxes, or I'm going to leave. No, there's a certain remnant that's called here that's meant to build a church of 100,000 in this city. Whether it snows 10 inches or not, we're going to be in this city. Amen? Yes, we miss Puerto Vallarta right now. Yes, we miss Puerto Rico right now. Yes, you may be missing Jamaica, man. You may be missing it, you know, and all of these wonderful other places, but we're called here. We're here to get the frozen chosen on fire for Jesus, and we're not going to be here without a battle. We're going to have to stand our ground, and when you're standing your ground, it is going to feel like everyone is coming at you from different directions. You're going to feel that some of your family is going to be like, hey, just cool it, cool it. You guys are too much into that Christian stuff. This other church over here, they're not as, as, as radical as you. And you're going to have to tell your family, listen, that's the reason why they're not as radical as me is because really they're not as saved as me, <laughs> you know, because if they were saved like me, they couldn't hold this in. They would have to tell somebody and cause a ruckus every now and then. And I'm not talking about being a worldly troublemaker. I'm talking about being someone that causes trouble for the devil. It's all throughout the scriptures that they always called the good people the troublemakers. At one time, uh, you know, you've heard of Jezebel, right? Well, that's an actual person in the Bible. Jezebel and her husband Ahab called Elijah, the prophet of God, a troublemaker. You're a troublemaker talking about God all the time and the laws of God and how we're not obeying them right. You're the troublemaker. And Elijah said, no, I'm not the troublemaker. You're the troublemaker. And what we have to realize is that we didn't change the definition of marriage. They changed the definition of marriage. I've been the same. This book has been the same. Amen. We didn't change the definition of life. Life has always begun in the womb. Talk to anybody and ask them what's inside of a mother's womb when she's pregnant. They changed the definition of what was life and now that it can be expelled. They changed the definition of what Christianity was. We never changed this. Christianity is based on Christ saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Others like Oprah wanted to change that Jesus to be Barney Jesus and accept Muhammad and all the rest. I saw some silly picture of Steve Harvey wearing a hijab, being in an Islamic country, talking about many ways to heaven. Listen to me. There are not many ways to heaven. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. We have not changed. We are Christians, Christ-like followers. And so as the world is changing, we're standing true by the word of God. 
We're not changing what the definition of a man and woman is. We believe a man is based on the genetics of what makes up a man. That's called science. How many believe science? We believe a woman is based on the genetics that make up a woman and the chromosomes. We don't believe you change that by playing Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head. How many have ever played Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head? You take something from over here, put a mustache on her there, change the hat over there. That doesn't make a woman a man because now you change some little parts around. They are men and women. We are men and women by our genetic chromosomal code, okay? And so we are now looked at as the oddballs because we don't get along with everybody when it comes to those kinds of things. Another thing is the Bible teaches quarantine the sick. The Bible doesn't say quarantine the whole society. I'm not coming out until no one dies anymore. You know, that's the way the world is thinking right now. I'm not coming out of my house until people stop dying. Okay, you'll be in your house for a little bit. And we haven't changed the definition of what a recluse is. They're calling it quarantine. We're calling it a mental illness of being reclusive. And then we wonder how now people are responding to this. When you have programmed people, and this, you know, this is where we got to pray for our Chicago teachers, and I do want to bless them and hope the best for them. But when you have put into their brain, think about it, nine months of death, 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 of course they're going to be scared to get back around people again. You know, you've put it into their brain that there's nothing but death out there, and children with their little germs are going to kill you. You know, children, they sneeze and they, you know, just going to kill you. You can't get around little Bobby. Little Bobby is going to kill you. Little, little Bobby has COVID. He's going to sneeze. He's going to touch you. You're going to die. You're going to die. Your grandma's going to die. Everyone's going to die. And it's going to be Bobby's fault. Little boogie-nosed Bobby with COVID. <laughs> You know, and then we quarantine the whole entire community and we wonder why depression has gone up, anxiety has gone up, suicide has gone up. It's connected to our disassociating ourselves from humanity. It is not good that man dwells alone. I don't care how many cats the cat lady has. She's crazy. She needs a friend. Are you listening to me? You can have cats, lady, but don't be a cat lady. You're crazy. You need people. You need human interaction. You need to love and be loved. Amen? And there are some things worth dying for, and there are risks we take in life. And to each man in their conscience, so they should go. But we're seeing now as a society that those of us, once again, who want to make the decision to really live and let live and let others make their decisions on their own, we never changed on that. Christians have always believed live and let live. Just go back in America 20, 30 years, live and let live. If you wanted to wear a mask 20 years ago, you could have wore a mask like, like Batman every day of your life. How many know you could have did that 10 years ago? That, that could have been your thing. You could have been known as that person, the masked, the masked bus rider, you know? But we, as a culture, have now said, unless everybody does it, you don't love people. No, no that's not true. We just believe, as science, scientists have told us, that this is not something we need to be so afraid of when it comes to us as a whole, that this is something we can go through as a herd and we can develop either the trust in the vaccine, that's another discussion, whether you like vaccines or not, or through it going through us and developing antibodies. How many know Christians didn't change? The world changed. Amen? Now, let's go to our scripture. Peter and John get arrested for preaching the gospel. 
They get arrested. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So here it's the religious community that's persecuting them. When they heard this, the things that had happened, that they had been threatened never to preach again, that they were told to leave town. When the other Christians heard this, they all jumped in their cars, left the church, and left a bad review on Google and never went back. Is that what it says? It says, when they heard that Peter and John were persecuted, they all blamed Peter and John and said, tisk, tisk, you guys should have known better. Is that what it says? No, when they heard that Peter and John were persecuted, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Let that be a reminder for any troubles or trials that we have coming ahead of us. That whenever we hear it from somebody else or we ourselves are sharing it, let us not be superstitious and say, oh, maybe you deserved it or you did something wrong or so on and so forth. Let us lift up our voices together in heaven and begin to pray. Someone comes to you and says, my mom is persecuting me because of my Christian, uh, Christianity. Young people, grab them by the hand and say, let us pray. We can go over how their technique of sharing the gospel with their mom went after that. But the first response needs to be, let's pray. As long as what you're telling me is the truth, what you were saying was pointed towards Jesus the best you knew how, and you got yourself into some kind of trouble. This is not the time for me to judge your approach. This is the time for me to raise my voice with you in prayer. All the supposed helpful Christians and their advice are worth nothing in these times. I've had so many pastors or Christians come on our feeds and try to tell us a better way to be cowards just like them, how to fit in in 2021, how to fit in better. I don't need that. What I need, even if you don't agree with me, is your prayers. Because to the best of our ability, how many would say amen to this? We as a church are preaching the gospel. Whether you agree with our method or not, do you have at least enough common sense to go, those folks are preaching the gospel? They may have been more intense than us. They may have been more, you know, outspoken than us. But we can look back. A church should be able to look back at MPI and go, you know what? There's one thing that I can agree on. What they're going through is gospel-centered. Let us pray for them. The disciples came back, reported what happened, and thank God that the church gathered around them and said, let's pray. Let's pray about this. Let's see what God is up to. And listen to this prayer. I'll read it uninterrupted and then a comment at, uh, at the end. Sovereign Lord, they said, you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, indeed Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker met together, come on, with the Gentiles and the other churches of the city and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, somebody say, now, Lord, consider their threats. 
Amen. There's the title. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Can somebody say amen to that prayer? Amen. After they prayed, verse 31, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Going back to the top of the prayer, they called on God, and they knew God was sovereign. We may not like who is president today, but we have to say, Sovereign Lord, you're in charge, and this is not an accident. Things may still turn around. There may be plans that you're doing through this, but God, you are in control. You are sovereign. I am not. You're the great I am. I'm the great I'm not. Everybody get that? He's the great I am. I'm the great I'm not. But in him, I get everything he got. Amen? I'm the great I am not, but in him, I got everything he got. Amen? That's what happens. In Christ, we go from being the I am not to I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I am the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the first and the last, preferred of my Father. Amen. And so those things occur when we're in Christ trusting his sovereign rule. He made the heavens and the earth, not a political party, not even a government on earth. He made the seas and everything in them. That is our God, and we trust him even now. And David said, well, you know, why do the nations rage? And I talked about this a few weeks ago. You can check out that message. Why do the nations rage? They do so out of pride and ignorance. Why did Pharaoh chase the Egyptians into the Red Sea that was being held up by the God who had just tormented him weeks prior? Because of folly, sin will make a fool out of you. Sin is stupid. Sinners are stupid. And sinners need to be saved from their stupidity. How many of you used to be a fool? And how many are glad like Mr. T, God had pity on a fool? Had a pity on a fool like you? Pity on a fool like me? See, we need to pity the fool. We need to pray for the fool. Because these nations are raging against God as if they're going to stop anything that's coming. These kings of the earth are going to band together even in a war called Armageddon at the end times to try to stop Jesus from coming on a white horse. But as we've said before, he's not a baby in a manger. He's a conquering king. And his side will say the word of God. And out of his mouth will come a sword. And with his feet, he will trample on the nations. Bow now or bow later. Our king is coming. We are his ambassadors. Amen. He will tell them, this is Jerusalem. And boot the devil right out if anybody watched the the 300. He will tell them, this is Jerusalem. He will set his feet on the Mount of Olives and end the discussion once and for all. Who is God? Who is in control? Who is the one that answers prayer? He'll be there for all of us to see. And the Bible says that that's happening even now by the preaching of the word. That his authority is going forth. But the people are coming against it. And so when we go down, we see that, uh, keep going, please. We see that they are praying, Lord, consider their threats. We know he's in charge. We know Jesus won't let these kings have the last laugh. We know Jesus is coming back. But Lord, right now, somebody say right now. Right now, Jesus, ahora, we need you to consider what they're doing. We need you, Jesus, to take a look at this. And, of course, by them starting the prayer with God's sovereignty, they know God sees it. 
But God has to encourage them, has to infuse them with courage. And so it's not wrong for us to pray to the Lord what we know is obvious. We know he sees it, but there's nothing wrong for us to pray because I think when we pray like this, it encourages us when we say, Lord, now look at this. God, would you see this? There's something that comes into our heart when we're communicating to him that way because we know that we've brought that need before him and he is hearing us and he is in control. So they say, Lord, consider their threats. And God is like, I know their threats. I'm seeing it. And how is he going to be with them? He's going to give them boldness. He's going to give them the miraculous signs and wonders. How many have heard a preacher pray before, Lord, you did it in Acts. Do it again. Bring back the Acts church. How many are ready for Ananias and Sapphira's to die in the church? <laughs> See, we here at Metro, we get excited about that, but most people get scared. Because they don't know what they're praying for, do they? But once God's presence starts coming, you don't touch the ark or you die. You don't lie at tithe and offering time or you die. You don't talk back to the apostle or you go blind. You don't mess with what God is doing. Because you can now have the tangible presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord comes responsibilities. And we are now, I believe, in this time of testing. Is that what you really want? I believe God is asking us. Do you want my presence with the power that comes with it because to whom much is given much is required saints and God wants us to have this power and I, I, I say this all the time you don't have to be afraid of electricity as long as you don't put your tongue in the light socket you don't have to fear the judgment of God but you are to fear the Lord but you don't have to fear the judgment of God unless you're sinning against him Yes, I know that in the presence of the Lord, you can die if you lie about your tithes and offerings. But how many not going to lie about your tithes and offerings? Oh, it got quiet when I preached like that. See, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not scared to come before you if the presence of the Lord here is so thick because I know there's no junk in my trunk. I've been saved and sanctified, and whatever sins or things that I have done throughout the week, God has convicted me of. I have confessed them. I am not continuing in them by his grace and glory. Amen. So I'm not afraid to come into this place. And so we have to get ready for God to enable us to preach and to start showing his signs and wonders because he will not bring his signs and wonders through those who are busted and disgusted. He is not going to bring his Holy Spirit to an unholy vessel. Do you and I want to be a part of these end-time signs and wonders? Amen. Then this is the prayer we should be praying. Lord, hear what our mayor is saying. Lord, see what our governor is saying. God, watch what our president, God, see what our president says and the vice president. And Lord, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. I love what Job e. said. How did God plan to get the apostles in front of kings and rulers? His plan was to get his apostles arrested. Now, is that what you want? I mean, because if you're saying, God, I want to have a voice. I want to talk to that witch Jezebel. I want to go to Kamala Harris and give her a word. You know, that's what some preachers are saying right now. Okay, and God says, get ready to get arrested. Get ready to be brought before her in chains. Are you willing for that to happen? Well, I just hope my boss gets saved. Well, your boss may first want to kill you. Seriously, and as he's getting ready to kill you like a Paul, he may have a vision of Jesus and get saved. Are you ready for some of the things that these people experience? Because they were saying, we want the Jewish leaders to get saved. We want the Jewish leaders. So here's one getting saved, about ready to kill you, Paul. 
And then what happens? God knocks them off this horse. He gets saved. And then they're scared to even let him in the church. Oh, we can't let him in the church, man. He was coming here to kill us. Same thing with Moses. Oh, we want God to raise up a great leader in time harvest in Chicago. Okay, are you ready for that great leader to get let out the clink this, this week? Because our great leader, come on somebody, may be getting saved in a jail cell right now. And we may see them get out. And remember, Moses' murder was not just. This person may come out with a few charges. They may have some issues in their past. But God may anoint them to bring revival to this city. Are you ready to follow a Moses? You see, we, we, we talk the talk as Christians all the time, but when you make it real, we get nervous. We get nervous because we think, oh, it's not going to look like that. You know, if revival comes, it's going to look like Joel Osteen. That's how it's going to come. No, it may look like Cousin Flacco getting out of county jail today preaching the gospel, going down to Humble Park. Are you listening? It may look like some of these mob members getting saved or corrupt business leaders getting saved. I would love to see the next time we see Trump on camera, he's in sackcloth and ashes repenting for a nation. I mean, it may not look the way you and I think it's going to look. I would love to see this happen, but it's got to be God's way. It can't be our own way. How many ever uh, heard about uh, leaving reviews on Google for churches or on Facebook? Has anybody heard of those kinds of things going on? Well, I started looking at our reviews again, and they kind of stirred me up. And I was like, I need to make a post about this. Some of you have already seen the post, but I would like to share some of them right now. Somebody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Just follow along with me and tell me if if, if you haven't heard this before. Don't give it away if you have. But... Tell me who you think would write something uh, like this about Jesus' church. This is a one-star review of Jesus' church. I used to go to this church because I really loved what the leader was doing, even though some of my friends had concerns. I ended up choosing to overlook their, their red flags and hope for the best, but over time I realized my friend's concerns were valid. I really feel bad writing this one-star review, but I just hope that it helps someone not get hurt like I did. Everybody go, oh, they got hurt. They got hurt in this church, okay? Not saying church hurt's not real, but some of it's butt hurt, okay? My children get their butt hurt when they get whooped every now and then, amen? But there is real hurt. Are you guys checking out? this. Sometimes you got to discern between somebody, are you butthurt or are you really church hurt? Let me just make sure I discern this correctly. Here, let's go on with this one-star review. They're going to tell you now about this leader. For example, the leader always threatened us with hell if we didn't follow his way of doing things. He called people names all the time when I thought he should be nice. He even called a woman a dog. And when a respected young businessman came to him just asking for help, he let him walk away sad because he told him to sell everything he had. Another time, he called one of his closest disciples Satan and told a man to come preach instead of going to his father's funeral. Sure, we had large crowds at times, but once everybody stuck around for a while, the majority would always leave because the approach, the approach was too intense. Everybody say, too intense. It's too intense. The only ones who really stuck around were the young, unprofessional, non-educated folks, like the fishermen and those like tax collectors and those who were prostitutes or had guilty consciences. 
Not to mention, we were in constant conflict with other churches and their leaders. Sometimes I just wish our leader would have played nice and everybody get along. We could never go to the temple without something bad happening, and this never happened at the church I used to go to. I'm not going to call them a cult. I'm not going to call them a cult. But they are really doing a bad job of clearing up that impression. They always talk about discipleship, evangelism, holiness, and the like. The leader told even a delivered man who just got free from being filled with demons at the tombs to go immediately and preach. He didn't tell him to go home and take a shower first. He just told him to go preach. We did some good things, don't get me wrong. It always came at a price, though, of offending people and giving them ultimatums. And the leader's teachings were way more extreme than the other churches I used to attend. He said things like lust was just the same as adultery, anger was like murder, and that giving less to God than 100% was not enough. We were told about faith, but at the same time, we were working all the time. I miss just being able to believe without anybody expecting me to do anything. Now, all the leaders at this church may get upset with me for writing about this, but I'm just going to start visiting some other churches and talk to new leaders and ask how they can help me achieve my goals better. So before you visit this church, really ask yourself, is this leader and church worth all the trouble that comes along with attending it? Who do you think wrote this in my my story? Judas. One-star review. See, sometimes we think to ourselves that Judas was so sinister that he knew he was demon-possessed. You wicked, man. You know you're wicked. We never put it into the realm of our reality. Most wicked people deny their own wickedness. Even Hitler, he wasn't wicked. He was helping the Aryan race. Slave owners weren't wicked. They were just helping the southern economy. People today in gangs, they're not wicked. They're taking care of their own. They're helping their gente, their people. The corrupt businessman, if you only knew the debt that he had from college and all the troubles he had in life, you would feel sorry for him and approve of his corruption. When we think about Judas and what he went through, we think, oh, surely he must have known he was wicked. You know, you know what Judas was? Judas was petty, Judas was bitter. Judas was the kind of person that could be around Jesus and still find faults. Well, Jesus, you shouldn't have did that. You should have did this. Jesus, you should have did this instead of doing that. Jesus, why do you do this? I think we should do that. And it was that kind of mindset that had him betray Jesus. When we think about what's going to go on in this generation, there will be a group of Judases that will turn their back on Jesus. They'll say, Jesus, you're supposed to be different towards homosexuals. You're supposed to approve their lifestyle, not just love the sinner and hate the sin. You're supposed to approve them, Jesus. Jesus, I don't approve of you anymore. So I'm going to find a different religion. Do you know that when we encountered the witches and the warlocks or, you know, these folks that uh, believe, you know, male witches and, and, and all of these different folks online, do you know that most of them, when they told us their story, it always started off with, I was a Christian. I was a Christian. And then, and then it would follow with something like this. I was a Christian, but then I thought to myself, how could God send people to hell over this? And I was a Christian, but then I read the Bible and what happened in the Old Testament. I don't think God would judge the nations like he did. I read, you know, I read the Bible for myself, and I saw a God I didn't like. How many have heard that even from your own friends at times? 
Most people are not rejecting a God that they don't think exists. They're really rejecting a God that they know exists, but they don't like. It's not really up here in the head. It's mostly in the heart. They'll say with their words, oh, I don't believe that Jesus exists or that person exists. But they're not really fighting against air. They're really fighting against the conscience that God has given them. And they are angry with a God that does exist and is not doing things their way. And we have to be ready to be persecuted by folks who don't approve of Jesus the way Jesus is. Jesus speaks the truth. And those of us here who maybe get bothered by it because it doesn't fit into our Western 21st mindset have to change. Jesus doesn't change. They may threaten us, but we're going to keep preaching. Amen? We don't change because they threaten. We're going to keep preaching. And if they want to change, that's going to be between them and God. But that's not going to change my preaching. I'm going to keep preaching. Can I hear an amen? One last one before we go. How many know Paul had people leave his church all the time? I'm going to read for you a one-star review from Paul about Paul's church. You guys ready? And I hope that you see some of the humor in this because oftentimes this is how people will approach you with what they think you're doing wrong or your church is doing wrong. Here's the one-star review of Paul's church. Let me first start off by saying that I never leave a one-star review for churches. This is the first time I have ever done this, but I really felt God tell me that it's important that I have to write this, even if I lose some of my friends who still attend there. Everybody go, ooh, deep. God told you to write this, okay. And before people get mad at me who still go to that church or get defensive and think that maybe I don't love Jesus or believe the Bible, know this, I'm a genuine Christian, and I follow the Bible to the best of my ability. So don't judge me without reading everything that I have to share. This is my personal experience of what God told me to write. I attended this church for over seven years and am truly thankful for all the good that I received from the leaders and the friendships there. And I learned so many things and God did big things in my life when I went there. However, that doesn't change what I saw or how things were done behind the scenes. Mm. First, Paul claims to have a special revelation from God where he gets to tell us his insights into the Jewish faith. And for the most part, I believe Paul, but it's how he shares those insights that give me caution. Even though he said he checked with Peter and James to confirm his approach, I still don't like serving with him. He constantly rebukes us when we sin instead of letting us grow at our own pace. And he threatens to kick us out the church even if we are just remaining in our struggles. Struggles, struggles. You got to say it like that. Many of us have come from pagan backgrounds, and it's hard to stop all of a sudden from going to the pagan temples and participating in their festivals, especially when our friends and family are there. So many of those who attend the church keep leaving because the leaders put too much pressure on them. Everyone should be allowed to be the kind of Christian they want to be, not the kind Paul wants them to be. Second, Paul had a fight with another of his leaders, Barnabas, over a young disciple who got scared on a mission trip and left to go home. The other leader left and took the young man with him. He was so much more compassionate 
I think most people are scared to let Paul know how they really think because Paul intimidates them. Those like Timothy, Phoebe, Priscilla, Aquila, and Titus just seem to be yes people. I agree with Barnabas, and I think he was right. Third, we were told some pretty extreme things that I didn't hear at the other churches I attended. Like if we were single, we should remain single to spend more time with the Lord. And that women had to remain silent in church, cover their heads, and ask their husbands questions at home. And we were told to be soldiers of all things in God's army. All of this is way too intense for most people. Fourth, Paul used his letters to correct us and lead us instead of coming to us face to face. I just think he was too busy for us. We were always being told that God kept closing the doors, but I just think it was because he didn't like us that much or wasn't organized. I'd rather follow Peter or Apollos because I hear they were always around their churches. Paul is always in some kind of riot or uprising. Even Agabus, one of our prophets, warned him not to go to to Jerusalem, but he went anyway and got arrested. So doesn't that make it his fault? Fifth, when Paul actually does come around, he's really not impressive or a good speaker like the conferences I've been to. Once he preached all night, a young man fell asleep and then fell from a window and died. Surely uh, God used Paul to raise him from the dead, but Paul just went back to preaching until the morning. Zero understanding that it was actually his fault that the young man died. Sixth, some of the, the church's Paul pastors are out of control. People get drunk during communion. Some are following Jewish laws, living sexually perverted lives, and all other kinds of messy things. Most churches I've attended don't even have those problems. Something must be wrong with how Paul leads. Seventh, and lastly, Paul tells his people to follow him. Instead of saying what most pastors say, don't follow me, just follow Jesus. I think this is because he likes when everyone reads his letters and follow his directions. Once when some people in Titus's small group came up with more ideas to reach new people, he said they were divisive. And only after one warning, he told Titus to remove them from the church. I could go on, but I hope everyone reading this gets the point that this church is dangerous and it's not really the kind of church you want your family to go to. There are other options in the area and I would recommend finding one of those churches to attend. Also, if you have friends or family attending here, please pray for them and ask God to use them to change the church so that Paul and the other leaders will be more like Jesus. Demas wrote that. Put up 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. How many know, once again, Demas didn't think he was wicked following the devil with horns coming out of his head? See, these people who left Paul, they believed they were doing the right thing. He says here, verse 10, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Demacia. These guys are good guys, though. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. You see, when you were a part of the New Testament church, you didn't have Instagram. You didn't know the full story. All you knew, Paul's in jail. I heard he, got, I heard he was there because of this. I heard he was there. You would have to trust your apostle. Well, you know what? When he was with us, he said that we'll suffer serving Christ at times. He told us he was a man of God. 
I don't believe my apostle is there for wrong reasons. Now, I'm not saying being blind and just doing whatever you want and doing whatever leaders want. That's how cults are started. We get that. But you would have to trust your leader and go, hey, I trust Paul even though I don't see him. And you know what? Titus and Timothy, I don't think they're yes people. I think they're the kind of people that I can trust. Priscilla and Aquila, they're the kind of people I want to be like when I grow up. You're going to have decisions to make this year. You're going to have decisions on whether or not you stick with Jesus or you're going to let people's threats mess with your head. You're going to have choices about whether or not you're going to stick with a good church. Because I'll give you two reasons to leave this church at any time. When we cover up sin or start preaching false doctrine, you get out of here faster than we can change our story and come up with some manipulative. Whenever we come up, whenever we hide sin or preach a false doctrine, this is no longer your church. Amen? Now, if God calls you somewhere else in grace and peace, right hand of fellowship, we bless you to do that. Hear my heart on that. We're not saying that we are the only church and all of those things. But what I'm saying is you're going to be tempted throughout this next year to turn your back on the things of Jesus and to turn your back on a church that's standing up for the things of Jesus. You're going to hear people threaten you. Berto will even tell you when they came to his job and started finding out that he was a part of this church and the riots and those different things, a young man tried to help Berto and ask him, did he need help? And, and Berto, give me the safe word. And he went up to Berto and he said, Berto, um, I don't know, but if, if you feel like you can't leave your church, just say abracadabra and I'll get you out, okay? I'll get you and your family out. And I have a church that you can attend. And he named a church where the mayor gave out groceries with that pastor while she was giving us uh, uh, tickets and those things. So he said, I have this church and if you need help, just let me know and we'll do an intervention. We'll do detox with you. And Berto's like, no, dude, I'm actually good. You should come to visit my church, you know. But people will do that. People will conspire. Go back up to our text for today in closing, please. Vinny, would you come? People are conspiring against the gospel. People are conspiring against the church of Jesus. And let me just cover this base as well. Some people may say, well, pastor, you take it so personal. Just because someone leaves the church or doesn't like your church doesn't mean they don't love the things of God. Listen to me. I understand people leaving our church for good and admirable reason, but I am very jealous, as Paul was, jealous for your soul when it comes to the things of God, and you leave for something that is less than the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. I know it's here. The kingdom of God is in other churches too. Do not get me wrong. I'm being very clear on this. So when someone leaves here over a kingdom issue, there is a godly jealousy that comes in my heart going, that is not the right decision. So I want to cover that. Well, we are still radical. And we just went to this other church. Yeah, but why did you leave this church? Well, you know, we just didn't kind of agree with everything. Agree with what? Did it, were we having a discussion about whether or not uh, in science there is this theory that is describing gravity this way or another? I mean, what did we disagree about here? Were we, were we disagreeing about whether or not the Cubs or the Sox are better? Here? Were we disagreeing over? No, you're leaving because you're disagreeing over something the church was doing for the kingdom. We have to make our decisions that if it's kingdom, we're sticking together. Some of you have to get that in your heart today because Metro prays, we don't die, we multiply. Amen. You come at one of us, you're coming at all of us. 
Because I will be here all day with tears in my eyes telling you how much I got your back. And I know many of you have our back. And, and I love responding when it's not necessarily towards me because then people can't say that I was trying to do anything other than get your back. For example, when James was out praying in front of tarot card places, I was just chilling. I was just getting up for the day. The, the day the, you know, they did it at night and the next morning. I was just getting up for the day. I think I just got out the shower. And uh, I was looking at my feed and everything was witch on his feet saying this and another witch saying that. And I go, what in the world has James and those guys gotten themselves into? So I start scrolling through this. God is my witness. I start scrolling through this. And then I talk to my boss. And I say, boss, is this what I get behind? Or do I let him take this on? Is this a growing experience? And the Lord said, you go and get on this right now. But I, even with him, I followed a protocol of honor because it was his ministry that he started. And I got on the phone with you, James, didn't I? And I said, brother, I see they're coming at you. They're asking so many hundred different questions from left to right field and all of these different things. I said, brother, the Lord told me to come and get your back. Do you want me to get your back? And he said, let's go. And within, what, a few minutes, I ended up doing two or three days of live feed. I'm not talking hours of live feed. I'm talking days of live feed, just being on there. Because I'm like, I'm your huckleberry. Come at me. Come at me. Bring what you got. We ain't running from you. Bring what you got. Come on this live feed. I'll be your huckleberry. I'll be that one. Come right here. And then what always gets me is when the other supposed Christians come on. Oh, this just gives Jesus such a bad name. No, it gives Jesus a bad name. Is the cowardice of your pastor who has never messed with a witch in his whole life. Witches in this city now know our name because of the name of Jesus. We sat here right here with three pagans that became Vikings, believe it or not, and they wanted to come meet with us. And as God is my witness, they said, we have never met anybody as knowledgeable as you guys. Thank you for your time. I rode them home in our truck. One of them is a missionary's kid who gave up Christianity to follow Thor. You tell me the devil's not bringing in time deception out here. I'm telling you. Another time I was on a live feed. I'm just telling you some testimonies. I'm going to bring it back to you. Another time I was on a live feed debating some Christian who had some weird beliefs. And then the man came to me afterward and he goes, I got about 60,000 subscribers. I talk about the end times. He said, and if you could help me right now, this would be awesome. He said, because the black Hebrew Israelites, they love the end times. They love the stuff that I talk about, the Roman Catholic Church. He said, but they are on my feed every single day, blowing it up that the white man is Edom, that the black man is the true Israelite. Would you come and help me? I said, let's start right now. You can go to our Facebook page and see uh, to our website because I, I kept those videos there. I went on for almost three weeks dealing with black Hebrew Israelite. I put myself into a situation I didn't even have to be in for this brother. And week in and week out, people would say, man, this is helping us. This is helping us. Boy, we needed to hear this. Not enough Christians are speaking up to this. I went on one of the other ones that's the, one of the biggest, Sakari. His name is Sakari. Their group is called Sakari. He himself has hundreds of thousands of followers, I believe. Went on there. I think there was over 1,000 viewers at one time, his whole entire group. And you can listen to it towards the end. This one gentleman comes on, and they kind of do their little greeting, you know, like how they greet each other. And then he talked to the host. He said, fam, 
I want to be honest with you. This Edomite got you. <laughs> and he said, what? You could listen to it. He said, what? What do you say? He said, well, when he said this, this, and you can go back and listen to it. He said, when he said this, and he said, you ain't said nothing back to him, man. You got to say something to him, fam. This Edomite making you look bad. And then he hung up on him. God is my witness. He said, oh, man, I'm going to listen to him. You know what I'm talking about, TJ. Some of you have watched those clips, others. I'm not saying everybody thought that. If you listened, if you go and watch the video, look at the comments, you're going to pray for me because <laughs> they did not like me on there. You and I have a choice to be comfortable or to be convicting to this culture. If you go into your comfort zone and you just go, well, I'm just going to leave that alone. I'm not going to say anything. You'll be comfortable, but you will not be convicting. And unless you are convicting, you cannot be convincing. Every place that I have showed up, whether it was at Nini's Deli, whether it was with the black Hebrew Israelites online with these witches, whatever I'm at, those situations, you know what they always say somewhere in the conversation? Well, I can now understand you guys believe this. And they will always say, I don't think most Christians believe like you guys do anymore. And that's the problem, my friends, is too many Christians have lost their voice because of their threats. And we need to stop losing our voice and being afraid because of their threats. It's almost been a year now since they've been threatening us, and I'm still here. You're still here. Amen? And like I said, if, if I die, we don't multiply. Joe, Bree, Joe B. preaches next week. Lawrence preaches the week after that. Rudy preaches the week after that. TJ preaches the week after that. Are you listening? We don't die. We multiply. We go in the things of God. Go to Revelation chapter 2, last scripture. You don't got anywhere to go, do you? Everything's closed here anyway. Even if there wasn't snow, it would still be closed. You can ask my daughter, too. I had to ask my dad three times. Now, when we go to the restaurant, do we sit inside or outside? My dad's like, we're going to sit inside. Unless you want to sit outside, it's a nice day uh, later on. So when we go to this restaurant, are we going to be inside or outside? You're going to be inside. And I'm like, I'm not used to that. I've been rejected by my own city. Look at Ephesians, I mean, uh, Revelation chapter 2. Look at what he says to the church of Smyrna. We're going to get here in our series, but look at what he says in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Do you see that in verse 10? Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I always used to say I was ready to suffer for Jesus. It was another thing when I went from the frying pan into the fire. But I can tell you, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid. That is powerful. And I'm here to say you got the same power on the inside of you. As much as I tease about those Google reviews, those used to be important to me. I used to talk about, man, we got a 4.8 Google review and we still radical for Jesus. Because I always wanted to teach pastors, like, you can be radical and still be effective in reaching the community. But when they all started coming against us and all of that, I felt the same fear a lot of people were saying about us. Joe, how are you ever going to reach that community? How, how's that church? How is TJ ever going to be able to preach on the west side again? Everybody's going to hate you guys. We were even deciding at one point whether or not we would even wear our shirts out in public because we thought we were wanted. But I can tell you, I'm not afraid anymore to wear a Chicago for Jesus shirt. I'm not afraid anymore. 
And I hope you are not either. And some of you, maybe you haven't gone through it like we have. And that's okay. Trust me. We're not going to force it on you, okay? Still be wise. Remember we talked about it at the beginning. Be as wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. He said, look at, just go back to verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. See, they started having their property taken from them. That's going to happen at some point. We know. He said, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not. Those who say they are Christians but are not. They are of the synagogue or of the church of Satan. They say they really love me, but they don't. He said, don't be afraid about what you're going to suffer. I tell you, the devil, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Just like with Job, and I'm going to let him. I'm going to let him. Because when Job was getting messed with by the devil, you know what I believe God did? He touched his angels and he said, look, the devil doesn't have anybody like Job. People only serve the devil when he gives them good things and makes deals with them. My people serve me even though their life's taken from them, even though their friends and family leave them. Nobody's got people like Job. My people love me because of who I am, and they know I'm better to them than these things they have in their life. Look at angels. Look at Job's faith. And that's why I believe we judge angels, the Bible says, because we've been through things that they have not been through. And we will tell the stories of what it was like to trust God when we couldn't even see God. He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you as a victor's crown, the crown of life. I'm putting life on you. Life and life more abundantly. Life. He's going to place it on us as a crown. Could you imagine some of those folks going from, I mean, I just think about those brothers. See if you can put them up. The Christians of, of uh, Egypt, Coptics being beheaded. Don't show the, the actual beheading, but show them kneeling on the, the beach there. I could just imagine as they beheaded us now, they be, you know, as they behead us now, they beheaded us then. And isn't that something the Bible says in the end times, a way of death for the Christian is beheading. Keep your eyes to what Islam is doing and pray for them because they will be a part of that end time army against the Christians. And beheading is their favorite way of killing, just like the cross was for the Romans. I could just imagine being on my knees, being placed on the dirt somewhere in Rome or in a gladiator arena in Athens or one of those other cities and they're preparing to behead us. Get them on the beach kneeling down. Yeah, that one right below that one, please. I could imagine these Christians being placed on their knees knowing that their time of death is coming just like these brothers had in our own lifetime. And I can just imagine them closing their eyes and saying... I'm coming home, Father. I'm coming home, Jesus. I'm coming home. And I could just imagine that as they close their eyes to have that pain, to have it come, 
They're ready for it. And they close their eyes and they've, they've given their life over to Jesus Christ. I can just imagine that. In those next moments, they then open their eyes. Instead of looking at the shores of that, that, that water body they were in front of, or instead of looking at the dirt of, of an arena or the Roman Empire, they're there on streets of gold. And as they lift up their eyes, they began to see Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. They began to see the bright and morning star, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. As they get up off of their knees, they rejoice in the presence of the Lord and say, it was worth it, my God. It was worth it, my God. Whether by life or by death, my life for your glory. Hallelujah. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? We lay our lives down for Jesus. Leave that up, please. We lay our lives down for Jesus. Altar workers, would you come with the band? See, what people don't know, and some of you who are new are learning. I talked to one couple as they were at my house. They said, one of the things we love about this church is that when we went back and listened to the messages, you were preaching the same things back then. You weren't doing this to get attention. We've been wearing these bracelets. I see Charlie's got them on. Charlie, raise up your wrist there. Come on, we've been wearing bracelets of the underground church for years. One time a brother was raising money for the underground churches in the persecuted church. He said, I don't know many people who are into this, but I was told by multiple people, call Joe, call Joe. Joe cares about the underground church. Joe cares. And so we started supporting him. We still to this day support your mission dollars going to help the persecuted church. But as I was sitting with him, I said, brother, we're going to pray for our food. And boy, we went to Webster's Grill and it was good. But I said, listen, before I pray, I want you to know something. I'm going to pray for the persecuted church at this, this prayer for this meal right now. And I want to let you know I'm not doing it because you're sitting with me today. I'm doing it because these brothers will testify. For over the last 10 years, the Lord told me, never take a bite of food without remembering those who are suffering in his name. We have always been preaching like this. And now it's becoming a reality. It's becoming a reality, friends. If they did it to them, if they did it in the Roman Empire, they'll do it to us. At some point, the Bible says, and I believe it's after the rapture, but it can get bad for us in America as it's gotten bad for them in China and other places. At some point, they're going to give us these choices. Deny Christ and live. Tell us you don't want to be a Christian anymore, and you will live or die as a Christian right now. They are going to threaten you. And they are going to try to intimidate you. And they'll do it on their job, on your, on your jobs. They're going to do it with your, the, you know, the pressure of the family. And I just want to encourage you during this time, brothers and sisters, do not lose your crown. Let's pray. Father, help us to remain faithful, God, even unto death to your cause. We're not looking for martyrdom. We're not looking to be persecuted. We're not wanting to be rude and then call it our persecution. But God, we are willing to stand for you and preach the truth to this generation. Whether they like it or not, we will be faithful. 
Make us faithful, Jesus. Make me faithful, Lord. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, ask him to save you so that you have something not only worth living for, but worth dying for. Ask Jesus into your heart. Repent of your sins. Jesus is coming soon. Those who are already Christians, check your heart. Get rid of any sin. Get rid of any hindrance. Say, I want you, Jesus, more than anything else. I place you above my family. I place you above my pleasures. I place you above everything. God over everything. God over everything. Because Christians will be the best fathers. Christians will be the best husbands and wives. Christians will be the best employees. But we put God over everything. God over everything. My life, my life for your glory. So everyone can know your story. And my life for your glory. So everyone can know your story. My life, my life.